Go beyond the headlines and deepen your understanding of the forces shaping our world today on The Political Scene, a newly updated podcast from The New Yorker. With episodes three times each week, The Political Scene accesses the sharpest minds on politics, offering insight and analysis about everything from abortion rights to the war in Ukraine. Join me, Tyler Foggett, for conversations with the most knowledgeable minds from The New Yorker that will dive deep on the most interesting political story of the week. Then, Susan Glasser, Jane Mayer, and Evan Osnos gather to hash out what's happening in Washington, D.C., with an insider's understanding of the high stakes at this perilous moment for American democracy. Plus, our editor David Remnick will provide you with insightful storytelling with a mix of interviews and profiles. That's all happening on the political scene. Make sure you're following it now, wherever you get your podcasts. I've been a subscriber to The Economist for many years now, and every time I read it, I feel a million times smarter, almost like I'm getting my own presidential daily briefing. What's really cool is that The Economist now has podcasts, including Checks and Balance, which is a podcast from The Economist that I think our listeners are really going to like. Yeah, what I love about this podcast is that it's very much like The Economist. It's like, yeah, look, you can get the top level stuff on cable news or you can get it in the newspaper. We're going to go deeper. So when you look at some of the things they've gotten into, like, is the Supreme Court too political? Why is Florida key to national politics? What's actually preventing a faster and fairer vaccine rollout? Like, they're going to take you to that next level. There's so much depth in it. And this podcast is the same way. Each week, John Perdoe, The Economist's U.S. editor, tackles a new topic that's shaping American politics and digs into the country's complex history to explain what's actually going on today. And he's joined by experts and economist correspondents from around the U.S. to talk through the ideas and data influencing the direction this country is headed. So for a fair-minded and global perspective on democracy in America, subscribe to The Economist's Checks and Balance podcast now. That's Checks and Balance from The Economist. Subscribe and listen for free on Acast, your podcast app, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jason Kander, and this is Majority 54, the podcast that helps Americans who voted for progress convince those who didn't to join our majority. Ravi, what's going on? So this is a tragic week uh, for our country. We had two mass shootings uh, within a couple of days of each other. Uh, I'm sure our listeners are familiar at this point, one in Boulder, one in Atlanta. Uh, and there are so many different layers uh, to both the debate around these mass shootings and uh, just about the facts that we know and don't know about these mass shootings right now. Uh, I want to start with this conversation and kind of go in, in chronological order and start with a conversation that quickly took place after the Atlanta shooting, where there was a an increased awareness and discussion about anti Asian hate around the country. This has been, a, I think, a rather contentious, surprisingly contentious debate that has gone all the way up to uh, the halls of Congress. There was a debate a few months ago about a non-binding resolution calling out anti-Asian hate that surprisingly did not garner. I think most or just many Republicans decided not to vote for that. And then this week, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy uh, was defensive when he was asked about whether comments from President Trump about a China virus or Kung Fu flu, I think, as they called it at a certain point. McCarthy didn't want to take ownership over that. He said, I don't know. Does CNN regret that? Does the Democratic committee that uh, started out regret that? I I would wait to see why the shooter did what he is. But 
if the, the virus came from China, and I think the knowledge we had at the time is exactly that. I don't think people, uh, from the standpoint um, to go after any Asian from any shape or form, and I condemn every action to that. You know, at the first step of this debate uh, in the aftermath of Atlanta, the right seemed to be focused on the fact that the motive for the Atlanta shooting was still under investigation. And, and from what I could tell, as of today, it still is. What should we make about the makeup of this debate? Like the, the question of the fact that we don't know the motive yet and to the fact that the, the debate became about anti-Asian violence and that the right doesn't seem to be owning some of their rhetoric around coronavirus. Well, I'm just so tired of this like circle of blame shifting that the right engages in when it comes to uh, violence against ethnic groups, when it comes to the, the coronavirus, when it comes to guns generally. I mean, like, here's how their playbook seems to work. It's like a flow chart. It's like when there's a mass shooting, they start by saying, well, this isn't really about guns. It's about a violent culture. And then they say it's about mental health. And then when people say, well, it may be that that a lot of this violence, or in fact, put guns aside, there's a, a large increase in anti-Asian violence. And we think that that is largely because of the anti-Asian things that, that you and your party have been saying. They don't have the option of saying, no, 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 see, that's about guns. So what they do is, is instead say, well, we never did that because they sort of run out of areas on the flow chart. And by the way, it's the same two-step that they tried to do on COVID, right? Like, it's not about the, U the U.S. response. It's about China. So the problem with all this is at the end of the day, like, this flow chart never ends in an actual attempted solution. It's just this big circle that goes from one thing to the next. And my frustration here is this thing where as soon as there's a mass shooting, the instinct of the media and of everybody else is to try to figure out why the person did what they did. Like, how many mass shootings do we have to have before we go, you know what? Clearly, there's some unhinged people. Perhaps we should take away certain tools or make them harder to get that are readily available for unhinged people to do truly terrible things. Yeah. And, you know, a few on the right, including um, Representative Rodney Davis, we're saying that, hey, you know, we called it China virus, Wuhan virus. So did the media. Uh, and then they were saying, you know, it's no different than calling this thing the UK variant or the Wuhan virus, which is uh, what the media definitely was calling it in the beginning um, when it came out of China. And I was just flipping through old issues of The Economist today. And it was very like in the beginning, like we're talking about February 2020, the discussion of it, the nomenclature around the virus was very much centered around China. But they're trying to say that's what that's all Trump was doing is that he was being technical about where this originated from. Jason, what do you make of that explanation? This is like like let's say so I'm Jewish, right? And let's say I'm with a group of friends and one of them like uses uh, the term heeb. Okay, let's say that happens, right? And 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 I'm like, hey, just so you know, that's an anti-Jewish slur and it offends me. And so you know, I'm with four friends and three of them are like, oh yeah, I, I didn't realize that. I'll never use that again. And then the other guy, he just keeps calling me a heeb. And then when we're like, hey, why are you doing that? He said that that is upsetting him. He's like, look, you all did it before you knew that it bothered him. So we are exactly the same as this heeb. Like that, that is exactly what they're doing. They're like, you all used this when you didn't know what to call it. And then people were like, that's the wrong thing to call it. And so it's not my problem that you stopped calling it that. I don't have to. Like, it's that's ridiculous. Is that a thing people called you when you were a kid? 
No, I've been fortunate. I, oh, okay. you know, yeah. I, I jokingly yeah. like I never heard my that. closest yeah. my closest friends jokingly maybe, but no, it's I. You know what? Yeah. I think I saw it in like school ties. I mean, you know, it's like that's <laughs> thankfully that is mostly something that comes from a uh, like my dad and my grandfather's generation being called that, or it's uh, maybe something people call me when I'm not there. I don't know, but you know, in Staten Island they used to call it Indians. I guess this is relevant to this discussion. They used to call us Gandhis, and I we used to have this weird like. Maybe, you know, I never corrected people because I felt like it was almost subversive to let people not truly understand that they were complimenting me um, when they were calling me that. Um, but they didn't mean it as a compliment. Well, you know, it's, I mean, if we're going to go down this road, that's the messed up thing about how this stuff works, right? It's like you, uh, what you do is you completely devalue the honorific by making it a slur. It's why, like, frankly, there were a lot of, uh, there's a lot of soldiers who didn't even know what they were saying. Who, who, American soldiers in the Middle East who would refer to everybody they'd interact with as as Haji, and it's like it's an honorific that is really supposed to refer to someone who is who has made the Hajj, which makes it that much more racist, right? Yeah, I'm with you that there's a difference in intent, and I think intent matters. And I actually there's this huge thank debate you for bringing about, that back. That was you did a good uh, <laughs> job bringing that back to what we were actually talking about. I think intent matters, and I think there's another day when we could talk about this in another context where I think the left has some inconsistencies here about what when intent matters or where it doesn't. But intent matters, like when when you're in it from a scientific perspective, it seemed like this was some kind of um, isolated incident coming out of a province of China. And people were calling it something, and then they quickly decided, hey, that there's there are implications, like you said, to us calling it this, namely violence against Asian populations around the globe. We need to stop calling it that. And the fact that it was no longer accurate anymore. It was a global phenomenon. That's different than saying it's Kung Fu flu and calling it China virus in a way to try to agitate people against both Asian Americans and China. Now, there are ways you could be hard on the authoritarian government of China and be critical of that government without opening up people who are of any Asian descent or Chinese descent around the globe, the the people, to extra violence. And, and I think part of the evidence for this is just how little the last administration actually did to hold the authoritarian government of China accountable. And you see this this week with Biden um, issuing sanctions against Chinese officials uh, because of the violence against the Uyghurs. Like, try to go back and see what Trump actually did to help the Uyghurs in China, next to nothing. Um, this is all about stirring up hate for political purposes and not really about solving any problems. And yeah, and those political purposes are to avoid responsibility for a horrendous response to the virus, right? Like, I mean, in their view, they're almost saying like, look, we're not racist. We're just unwilling to accept responsibility. <laughs> I mean, it's like, well, yeah, you're just using racism to do it, right? So uh, and that's why McCarthy can sit there and say, like, I don't have anything against Asian people. <laughs> he, right. He's like, if you finish that sentence for him, it's I just find them to be a very useful, useful tool in avoiding any liability politically for what, you know, kind of incompetence we engaged in. So um, it doesn't really matter. Right. Either way, your intent is is a racist intent. And and either way, it's, it's wrong. So um, it kind of brings us back to on the shooting in Atlanta. I was. I just didn't understand how, like, the very first press conference, I think, somehow the burning question that uh, local officials thought needed to be answered and that the press grabbed onto was whether or not this person was anti-Asian, because you know, whether the victims being mostly Asian, whether that meant they were anti-Asian, or whether it was this explanation of he had a sex addiction and he was trying to, like, you know, I don't think 
correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think we ever actually figured out what the motive was of the Las Vegas shooter. Like the worst, the worst mass shooting, I think, uh, in our history, right? And we never figured out their motivation. And I, if we did, like, I, who cares? Like, you shouldn't be able to open up automatic fire from an elevated position on a, on a concert. Like, it doesn't matter why you did it, what insanity was going through your head. Uh, it does matter who influenced you, because that's something we have to address. But, like, I don't understand how all of this doesn't just end back at an incredibly urgent push on gun safety. You know, I found myself being very frustrated this past week for a couple of reasons. One is that, you know, my sister works one mile away from the Boulder shooting. And I was just very agitated by it all. She works in retail right over there. And I, I felt very frustrated by the quickness of people. And, and honestly, this is a right and left problem to try to fit that that shooting into people's political desires to make certain political points, you know, like rush to judgment about who this person was, what their motives were, et cetera. And I, and I was quite frankly, really frustrated with some people on our side who I felt like just, I think, did a disservice to the victims and to the larger debate by rushing to judgment on the facts. And I think this brings it to like, what's the relevance of the motive in the Atlanta shooting? You know, I sit here about less than a mile away from Chinatown. And right before COVID hit, I took a group of New York City activists to Chinatown to get them to meet with uh, Chinatown activists, one of which uh, has passed away since, and this guy named Corky Lee, who's like a, a local institution, a photographer who gave us a history of Chinatown. And then we met with this activist who's been working on these issues for a long time. And I think there's a couple of things going on here about, you know, what's the relevance of the motive? Uh, first is... This debate has been a long time coming, and I think on the left in particular, I've been frustrated by just how long it took the left to come around to the questions of like what's going on in the Asian American community. And I, I, I think of the Asian American community, people group me together with billions of other people, and so it's weird to consider myself a part of like a group that you know spans half the globe, globe's population. But there are different issues, and I think what's been going on in Chinatown is dramatically different than, um, you know, in the Sri Lankan community uh, in New York, for instance, where there was a horrific incident here just this past week. But I think the bigger takeaway for me is just that I saw a lack of humility, even from our side of people who it felt to me like June, where people were putting up black squares, and it was like, stop Asian American hate. And these are people who have been trying to get to pay attention to this issue forever. Um, and who only want to fit it into their box. Like they want to, they want to talk about uh, the issue as they want to see it in relation to this incident as, as a white supremacy issue, which is definitely a huge problem. Um, but they don't want to talk about other issues of concern within the Asian American communities. And they also don't want to talk about violence that's been coming to the doorstep of, of the, the Chinese American community and the Asian American communities from all different types of Americans. Like in New York, we've had 20 people arrested uh, over the past year for hate crimes against Asian Americans. Two of those perpetrators were white. So this is like a widespread problem that we have across communities. And I feel like people don't want to have a more nuanced debate about this. And it feels to me like performance. I'll get off my soapbox, but it just feels to me like a, the debate is a little bit off. Yeah. You know? No, I, I definitely don't. Like, I'm definitely not saying that the motives um, are irrelevant in the sense that, like, um, these tensions are irrelevant. Like, they're very real and they happen whether there's a shooting or not, right? And they're worth addressing separately. I guess what I'm concerned about with regard to the shootings is, like, 
I think if, if I'm Kevin McCarthy and I get that question uh, when I'm being pressed about legislation before Congress right now on guns, and I'm against that legislation, even though it's very popular, he's th- I think he's thinking, oh, good. Let's let's divert everybody over to this, let, right, you know, let, right. and and that's what I'm worried about. Like I'm not saying we shouldn't address it. I'm just saying like we shouldn't just address it when there's a shooting. That wasn't what I was trying yeah. to say. You were saying sorry, just yeah. to be no, clear. no, I know. Like, I just want, I, I know you weren't, but like I want to be clear that like I agree with you. Like we should just be addressing it before there's a shooting, you know, because like it's funny how the, these shootings are so common now that we all have a connection to it. I, I have a good friend who was in the grocery store in Colorado and you know, thankfully got out safely. But like, um, I'm certain that, you know, no matter what the motivation is there, that was AR-15, I think that was used in Colorado, right? And it's like, we, we shouldn't have that weapon. And and then uh, Georgia, I think it was a pistol, but it's like, I didn't the guy buy it the same day? I feel like we can have those conversations separately from the conversations about motive, because I completely agree with you. I hate that every single time there is any sort of uh, mass violent incident in this country now, both sides are sort of holding their breath about who the perpetrator is because they think they're going to, you know, score some sort of political points or that there's some scoreboard somewhere that matters that's going to convince anybody of anything. It's not. That scoreboard doesn't matter. There's another angle to this, which I think is worth the two of us mentioning, which is there seems to be an anti-women, anti-sex work piece of this that that could be true, right? Like using the same model that we talked about, like we still don't know exactly what happened in Atlanta, but it seems like the perpetrator has alluded to the fact that there was some kind of sex addiction, et cetera. And that there seems to be a gender conversation here that we need to probably have as well. Yeah, I I agree because regardless of, you don't even need to get into the potential motive um, just to know that like the coverage of these victims has been very different because there's clearly a hesitancy by people in the media to uh, to cover people who who may have been sex, sex workers in the same uh, you know way and humane sympathetic way that they cover victims otherwise when they're human beings right like it, it's it's just like it's it's just like you have not seen any I haven't seen anyway any any pieces about um, you know uh, prisoners who have died from covid uh, that are similar to the other sort of pieces you see about uh, victims of COVID who are not like they're human beings and they have a story. Their journey doesn't change the the, the value of that story. It doesn't change the value they held in other people's lives. So I totally agree that that's clearly present here. Yeah. Well, okay. Let's get to, to the gun control debate. Um, President Biden Tuesday said that he is going to push Congress to pass uh, bills both to strengthen bank ra- uh, background checks and to ban assault weapons. Uh, there already has been a bill passed that, that passed the House uh, in that respect recently, and now it heads to the Senate. The Republicans, understandably, are pushing back, and I think it's important for us to take a, to take a moment to just think about, like, to, to focus on what they're saying. They're doing the whole thing, which is, hey, we're open to, you know, we're open to the discussion, and but both Thune, Senator Thune and McConnell have said something very similar, which which means that this is coming from some kind of coordinated strategy. They say, "Hey, we're open to something, but we don't we don't want to just pass something that's not effective." I find this interesting because basically, what they're doing is they're preventing anything significant from passing. Right? They're not gonna they're they're gonna make sure that nothing 
far far reaching is going to pass the Senate. And then when there's a narrow bill up for consideration, they're going to be like, this isn't going to solve the problem. So why would we pass this? You know, I mean, there's nothing really to add to that. That's exactly that's exactly their MO, right? It's like just I mean, of course, of course, they don't want anything effective like they work for the NRA and the NRA is the, you know, the Chamber of Commerce of firearm manufacturers like they don't want anything that makes it where there's fewer products they can sell and fewer buyers for their for their product. Like, and that's that's what McConnell and Thune and those folks are all about. So, I mean, it's absolutely hilarious. Um, by the way, like it just reckons back to the Las Vegas shooting where a lot of them came out like, uh, oh, we should totally ban bump stocks. Well, you know, when you look a little closer, it's pretty easy to see how they got there, which is that none of the major firearm manufacturers make bump stocks. So if you want to know what their motivations are about, that's what it is. It's no different than tobacco. It's no different than oil. It's no different than any product that hurts people but makes somebody a lot of money. And that is that they just want to make sure that they keep that that market wide open for them. So that's what right. it's all about. And, uh, you know, I think it's it's probably a good time to check in with President Manchin, who uh, has <laughs> traditionally who's traditionally been pushing through. He actually has, has a record of trying to push through some gun restrictions. He he actually worked with Toomey to to try to pass a bill previously, a Republican Senator Toomey from Pennsylvania to pass a bill that would close what's called the gun show loophole, you know, buying guns at gun shows, which is a big issue for us up in New York. People, you know, they call it the iron pipeline. They buy guns from gun shows down south and bring them up to New York. Can we break that down for a second? Because I think there's probably a lot of people who don't understand what that is. And since the whole idea of this show is to is to prepare you to have these arguments, here's what's going to happen when you talk about background checks with your friends. They're going to say, you already need a background check to buy a gun. Well, that's true. Unless you buy it at a gun show or you buy it, you know, between like one private seller to another, you buy it over the internet. In that case, like it's, you know... <laughs> It's like, whoa, no, if I turn around three times, then it doesn't apply. And 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 so that that's a giant loophole uh, in the system that obviously should be closed. I thought Manchin agreed with us, but then he now is saying that he opposes a part of the House bill that would apply to the private sellers that you're talking about. So one private seller to the next. And, you, you know, the, if you're sitting around your Thanksgiving table or whatever, it's I guess it's a long time from Thanksgiving or um, what are we in right now, March? If you're sitting around your, your everybody's been vaccinated table. There you go, uh, that and one. And we're all very excited uh, <laughs> to be back together. Yeah. <laughs> then people would be like, well, you know, it's private citizens selling one to the next. But we live in 2021 where there, if there isn't already, there's going to be an easy way for people to buy guns in mass in, in the, on the private market. And there's no reason why we shouldn't have a, a background check process for that too. And you can make that process as seamless as possible through the internet, you know, by having people verify themselves as they they uh, undergo these transactions. But Manchin seems to be against that. Well, I mean, the, the greatest argument against the Republican version of this argument is is real simple, which is that they seem to think that it shouldn't be at all difficult or cumbersome to have the technology and the systems in place to verify exactly who a person is down to like their molars before they vote. Um, but you know, if, if you're going to buy a gun, like good God, like we could never pull that off. It's obviously super hypocritical. And, and I would just encourage people when you have these conversations, like don't bother with the, you know, well, is this right? Or is this right? And just go straight to the fact that the motivation here for the vast majority of the people who elected officials, by the way, I'm talking about elected officials, not not your average gun owner who brings this up, but elected officials who oppose this is that 
the NRA exists to make money for gun companies and they want private sellers to, cause if you are a private seller and you sell a gun, then you need to buy a new gun, right? Like, I mean, that's, that's the whole idea. Like the more this stuff, I mean, you don't see like, you don't see Ford out there trying to put used car dealers out of business. They're not out there trying to right. legislate <laughs> used car dealers out of business. Cause like, if you can, if you can trade in your used car, you can buy a new car. Like that's the more of their product in circulation, the more of their product will be purchased. That's how it works. And the numbers are staggering here. You know, the United States is four, about 4.5% four of the world population and 42% of the guns in circulation are owned by Americans. And 31% of mass shootings are in America. There are all different explanations from the right about, oh, it's just, you know, guns don't kill people, people kill pe people. And if we didn't have guns, it would be knives or whatever. But the data doesn't bear this out. New York and London, right? Just look at the same. You're, you are as likely to be robbed in the streets in New York as you are likely to be robbed in the streets of London. But you are 54 times more likely to die in that altercation in New York than you are in London. Uh, they point to video games, but if you compare the U.S. to other developed countries, same video game issues, same mental health statistics. U.S. is actually ahead, uh, believe it or not. I was actually surprised to read this, that we're ahead on, we, we have lower cases of documented instances of challenges in mental health, which, you know, there's a lot you can go into with that data, so I wouldn't rest, my, <laughs> rest too much on that. But, uh, you know, greater spending, um, more counselors. I mean, you, these are all pieces of data that surprise me. But like you go through this and it's like, obviously, having the ability to kill people really fast in mass is a problem, like a problem that we should we should handle. Right. Like if you're at that same vaccinated table that we're talking about, say to your cousin, be like, hey, should we all be able to have nuclear weapons? Like, don't you think that would be a problem? That's an arm. Right. That should that would like in the letter of the Constitution, right to bear arms. Nuclear weapons are arms. Right. Like we all draw the line somewhere. And I think, you know, being able to spray off a thousand bullets in a minute is probably somewhere we should draw the line. Well, at the end of the day, what this comes down to is if, if your argument is that this is about the people in America and about a cultural problem in America and not about guns, like, how can you say that and be like, I like Americans or like Americans are like, you're just basically saying we are a terrorist culture like if if this is if if you if you would really argue that if you took away all the guns uh that we would stab and blow up and strangle and bludgeon as many people every year as you know you'd have the same amount of killings every like good lord you just must think that we are the most primitive creatures and just the most uncivilized country in history you, that's a absolutely ridiculous argument and frankly like a pretty anti-american argument and the reason i'm so hyped up about this is that i feel like you know as i watch us as a country start to address again the possibility of, of really passing meaningful gun safety legislation like this is our best chance in many years to do that not i'm not talking about the timing of shootings i'm talking about you know we have a democratic majority and a, and a democratic white house it's almost like we have forgotten that that is a reality. Like we, we, I don't feel that sense of urgency uh, among the average voter, among the average, you know, pro gun safety legislation uh, activists. Like 
I mean, they're doing great work, but like you don't feel that energy and that sense of opportunity right now when you when you should. And I think it's because so many years of being beaten down on this and coming close and then not having it succeed. And I get that, man. I mean, if you can have something like Sandy Hook happen and not be able to pass legislation, it's pretty hard to get up off that mat. Like that is that is got to be one of the most. I mean, obviously, it's one of the most tragic things that's ever happened. But in terms of like the possibility of getting gun legislation passed, like. I totally get where that's an incredibly discouraging moment that is still hard to get past. But at the end of the day, like we have to recognize that this is our best chance and people need to lean into it. I'm excited for leaning into it. I'm, I'm on the board of Giffords. We have a call later today. Like this is the moment to get that done. And we're only going to get it done with a sense of confidence that we can. So yeah, there are people who disagree with us, but like we have to lean on those people. I mean, people like to me who have made noise about this, like now, now's the time like to prove it. And so I just, I would encourage everybody out there to get involved in Giffords or Moms Demand Action if you aren't already, because this is the moment to get some stuff done. Today's episode of Majority 54 is brought to you by BetterHelp. You know, I've been thinking about this lately. I often hear people say about like playing guitar or exercising or woodworking or whatever. They'll say, you know, it's my therapy. And I often want to say when people say that, like, well, that that's great. Have you tried therapy? Not knocking anybody's hobby, but I'm just saying, like, I, I feel like if that is like your therapy, like perhaps you should also try therapy. And so if something is interfering with your happiness or achieving your goals, Online counseling could be the right solution for you. BetterHelp, it's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional counseling done securely online. BetterHelp assesses your needs and matches you with a licensed professional therapist. And it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling. And financial aid is available. And because it's online, you're not limited to experts in your area. BetterHelp has counselors who specialize in anything you may want to talk about. Depression, anger, relationships, self-esteem, anxiety, whatever it may be. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com slash M54. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash M54. Jason, I'm really excited about our next sponsor, which is Audible, which is the leading provider of spoken word entertainment. And you know, just this past week, I've used Audible to listen to this book called Lifespan by David Sinclair. Uh, it's a book that I wanted I wanted to to share with you because it's all about just living longer. What's cool about that experience, Jason, is that one of the recommendations uh, that the book has is to be active, and you don't have to be like doing hit classes or anything. You just walk a lot, right? And so I was actually walking while listening to the book, so it was like a huge meta moment and that's only possible through using a system like audible right because you can't walk around reading a book in manhattan and you can get hurt right <laughs> with an audible membership you can download titles and listen offline anytime anywhere the audible app is free and can be installed on all smartphones and tablets you can listen across devices without losing your spot right now majority 54 listeners can get a free 30-day trial when you visit audible.com majority 54 or text majority 54 to 500500 Again, you'll get a 30-day free trial of Audible when you visit audible.com slash majority54 or text majority54 to 500-500. This week in misinformation, you know, I know we sound like a broken record on this, Jason, but the Senate now, I think today, has begun hearings on the For the People Act. And I think it's important for us to keep coming back to this because as much as voting rights may seem unsexy, it is the most important thing that we can get done because it leads to progress in all areas. And if we don't get it done, it's going to stop progress in all areas. And 
shout out to Media Matters. They came out with a, a really cool article uh, that's a little scary that just talks about how the right wing has been on the march trying to sow either misinformation or just or just critiques of the HR1 bill. Uh, and it says that, you know, all right-leaning uh, Facebook pages have earned nearly 2.9 million interactions uh, as of mid-March. And what's interesting about this article is that it goes through message by message and you get a sense of what the right is saying. And what I find really interesting is not the straight misinformation. It's that so many of these things are, if you put them in front of a left-leaning audience, they would be persuasive to us mm-hmm. right like 100%. like here here's the daily caller hr1 is chock full of surprises it would implement automatic voter registration for 16 year olds and voter id requirements legalize ballot harvesting not sure what that is uh and then give felons the right to vote other than ballot harvesting which i think they're trying to rhetorically make it sound like organ harvesting or something yeah but, i mean uh, when when they, what they mean when they say ballot harvesting is they mean the thing where you can go to people and say hey have you filled out your absentee ballot yet oh would you like us to drop it off for you that's what they're talking about which is not ballot harvesting it's ballot delivering <laughs> yeah <laughs> I mean, yeah I have to say, Jason, I, I know we're not supposed to be complacent, and I don't, I don't take this lightly at all. And I know that it's an uphill battle to get this passed. As I was reading through these messages, I was like, "Is this the best that you've got? Right. <laughs> like, what is? Like, they've got to have more than this." Well, I mean, you gotta, you gotta break down the visuals on these too, right? So, like on the Daily Caller one, they pair that with just a picture of Nancy Pelosi walking, right? So it's clear what they're doing there. Right. The one where, yeah, the, how, how dare she? Yeah, right. I mean, they yeah. quote, they quote, uh, you know, Representative Presley saying that you know lowering the vote the federal voting age from 18 to 16 she had an amendment to do that but what they're really doing there is they just want to have a picture of an african-american woman on the house floor that's the whole point of that like it really all it really needs is it's just that picture and then like you could just say hr1 is bad and scary like so it's it's interesting how usually these are you know they have these rhetorical flourishes or rhetorical bullshit but really, it's just it's pictures. It's always pictures with them. It's a good point. I mean, look at look at you know Dan. What's his name? Bon. I don't know what that dude. He, I can never say his name yeah, properly. Yeah. It's, uh, his, thing, his is just Bongino. yeah. Well, his yeah. is just a picture of a very diverse group of people standing behind a podium that says "For the People Act." Like, I mean, that's the whole point of his. So, I mean, it's just like that's their move, man. I mean, that's what they're about now on everything. Like, this is about like. This is about democracy reform, and they're like, mm, well, what do you think about the racism we're going to pile on it? How about, what do you think now? I mean, so it's tiring. Yeah, it is tiring. And what's interesting right now is is given everything that's going on in this country uh, with the two mass shootings and COVID, uh, you know, people getting back into the swing of things in life for COVID, the debate over vaccines, school debate openings. What what it, what's interesting to me is that neither side seems to be fully focused on this this bill, and I'm a little worried that we're not 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 us, but I think like in general, like the left. Uh, there's some people who've been really great on this. Obviously, Stacey Abrams and her constellation of groups down in Georgia, um, Crooked has been really focused on this as well. But it just feels like a sideshow right now when it when it really is it's it's going to quickly become the main event, and it's understandable. Like the, when there's tragedy that strikes, is it's important that we all take away from our lives to, to highlight those issues. But this is coming really fast. And I'm a little nervous that about, about this outcome. So there's a concept in military tactics called the main effort, right? And that is that you, you have to figure out exactly where 
the main center of gravity in any battle is that gives you the greatest opportunity to win the larger battle or the larger war. And then what you do is you focus your fire on that point. So, you know, like when you, when you think about it that way, like in military terms, it's like, oh, that's where the other side gets their supplies. Our main effort right now has to be focus all fire on, on their supply chain, right? Whatever it is. Well, this is the main effort because whatever other issue you're talking about, whether it's the environment, whether it's gun safety legislation, doesn't matter what it is. All of them seem to have, for the most part, one thing in common. Healthcare is another good example, which is that the vast majority of the American people agree with us and that there is a bottleneck. There is something that is stopping it from happening. And that thing that is stopping it from happening is the fact that our democracy is not working the way it's supposed to, that it's broken. And when you look at the future and the potential to actually get all these important things done that we want to get done, it doesn't, like you could name any issue. All of it is in peril in the future because of the possibility of voting rights being uh, restricted severely, of you know the money and politics continuing to get worse and worse and more corrosive. So this is the main effort. If you want to have a chance of breaking through the enemy lines and getting done the things that the American people overwhelmingly want done, you absolutely have to prevail in the battle over HR1, over the For the People Act. Well, amen to that. Quarantine Corner. Jason, I've been watching your Instagram. Uh, I'm really excited for this update. Tell us about your week. Yes. So I, for the first time in 22 years, uh, have joined a baseball team. And so for context, so I played baseball in high school. I was like good, but I wasn't great. But I, I love baseball. Anybody who follows me on uh, social media knows I, I talk too much about baseball. I love baseball. And for many years, I've talked about joining this league that exists in Kansas City, the Men's Senior Baseball League. It's like a very serious, it's not softball, it's it's hardball. And, and it's like wood bats and metal spikes and the whole deal. And I've been saying for years, like, I'm going to go join and play. And my wife, rightfully, has always pointed out, like, you don't have time for that because it's a very serious league. They play like 30 games a summer. And she was right. But now, six weeks before my 40th birthday, I do have time. And I've joined this team. I'm on a, on a team called the Kansas City Knights, which is awesome because I also coach my son's Little League team, which is the Knights. So we both are going to be wearing jerseys that say Knights. It's amazing. I mean, everything it's about amazing. it is just tremendous. And I, you know, the games start in May. I've been going to baseball practice. Like, I love saying. How do you feel? How do you feel? I feel pretty well. That's another nice thing is over the last couple of years, I've gotten myself physically into the kind of shape where I can I can do this. My baseball skills need a refresher uh, more than some of the guys who've been playing the last 22 years. I'm able to hang because I'm physically in decent shape and I'll, and I'll get there on the rest. But what's crazy is like I so my baseball practices are on Saturday and and I'm able to spend the whole week saying to my wife, like, I have baseball practice on Saturday, which is just so cool. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. And, uh, and, and then, like, the way I would describe it is, like, it is like being 17 or 18 again. It's because, we you know, you play in age brackets. So all the guys I'm playing with were playing baseball in high school at the same time as me. Some of them played college and stuff. But it's like that, except instead of yelling dive for balls, we yell, like, don't get hurt. It's practice. So, like, <laughs> that's the difference that 22 years makes. But other than that, man. It is so much fun. I I'm just I'm just enjoying that. Make sure to keep posting content. I'm really excited about it. That's got to feel great. All right, your uh, turn. Your turn. So my update is uh, I have found a indoor wave pool uh, in uh, <laughs> right outside of New York City, and so on Monday morning I'm going surfing uh, oh in New Jersey. Yeah. So um, I found this place. It appears to be amazing, and we'll see. Uh, and I'm going out there, uh, and you get basically two hours of just consistently amazing waves 
And so uh, I'm pumped about that. That's awesome. And then, yeah, so uh, I, I was trying all these things. I was going to order a skateboard that's the shape of a surfboard. I was like, I just got to figure out a way to just keep up with this somehow. But I think if this works out, it's going to be a game changer. But I wanted to add one other thing, which is in light of everything that's going on in the world, um, I wanted to re-up a recommendation I made, I think, on one of our first pods, which is, you know, there's so much... Uh, amazing art coming from the Asian American communities that hasn't been uh, recognized enough. And and one movie I think I mentioned in, in one of the earliest pods is this movie called The Half of It uh, on Netflix, which is unbelievable. Um, it's a coming of age story uh, about an Asian American girl coming up in uh, a town in Washington, I think it is. Uh, and this direct, it's a direct, same director and writer. She's super talented. And I think it actually is, is is an awesome movie also that kind of gives you a sense of that perspective of somebody kind of a fish out of water dealing with some of the, in that case, lower level kind of um, discrimination that you get uh, just being different, being Asian in a largely white American context. And I can't recommend it enough. So before we move on to Greb Manor, uh, just a, a public service announcement. You know, we said last episode that obviously as as COVID seems to get better and the world starts to reopen, we're going to need a new name for this segment that is basically just us talking not about politics for a moment. Uh, and so far, the leader in the clubhouse seems to be uh, temporarily setting down our oar for a moment corner, um, <laughs> which I really like because I think that's funny, but uh, it might get a little unwieldy to say every week. So we would encourage people to tweet at us with other recommendations for what we could call this particular segment moving forward. Bombas makes the most comfortable socks in the history of feet. This is a fact. I am wearing them right now. I'm at the point now where I have a few pairs of Bombas. I have, I think, like six pair of Bombas. And as you know, there are seven days in the week. So I, thanks to Bombas, I'm doing laundry at a more steady clip because when I go to my sock drawer, no joke, I am looking for my Bombas. And so my wife is happy with me because I'm doing the laundry more. I mean, look, it has enriched our lives in so many ways because they are so comfortable that I just want to wear them all the time. Bombas isn't just helping to make your household a better place. They give back to the most vulnerable members of our community. Because for every pair of socks you purchase, Bombas donates a pair to someone in need. The generosity of Bombas customers has allowed them to donate over 40 million pairs of socks and counting through their nationwide network of over 3,000 partners, and the impact is more powerful than that. So give a pair when you buy a pair and get 20% off your first purchase at bombas.com slash majority54. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash majority54 for 20% off your first purchase, bombas.com slash majority54. Society has normalized the idea that men lose their hair over time. But it has in no way done that with women, and women experience this as well, and that's really why the Nutrafol is, is so important. Yeah, 30 million women are impacted by weakened or thinning hair, uh, and if you're among them, no, you're not alone. Uh, Nutrafol offers two targeted formulas for women that are clinically shown to improve hair growth and thickness with less shedding, 
uh, Nutrafol supports healthy hair growth from within by targeting the five root causes of thinning, stress, hormones, environment, nutrition, and metabolism. And it's physician formulated to be 100% drug-free. They use medical-grade botanicals in consistently effective dosages, so you get the most reliable results. You can grow thicker, healthier hair, and support our show by going to Nutrafol.com and entering the promo code M54 to save 20% off your first month's subscription. This is their best offer anywhere, and it's only available to U.S. customers for a limited time, plus free shipping on every order. Get 20% off at Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code M54. For Grab and Ore, you know, we already mentioned Giffords. We already mentioned uh, Mom's Demand. There's also Every Town. What I would encourage you to do is two things. One, obviously, I think it makes sense for you to go and, and support those organizations financially. It makes sense for you to go and participate in uh, whatever activism opportunities that they have. And each of them do have opportunities to, to call your member of Congress and that sort of thing. But the other part of it is, I would just say pick one of these organizations and go ahead and get very involved for two reasons. One, this is exactly the kind of issue that only actually moves when people get together and work together as neighbors and recruit more people in who aren't necessarily drawn into politics anyway. I've been to Moms Demand Action meetings many times, and they're inspiring because for most of the people in the room, this is the only kind of activism they've ever done. And so I would encourage you to do that. But then the other uh, reason I would encourage you to do it is because yeah, we're in this big fight right now over gun safety legislation, but this is obviously not going to be the last one. And so I would just say this is an opportunity to commit yourself to being involved with this. All right. I want to renew our request for voicemails. I'm also going to put this out on social media. Give us something that people have been throwing at you, and we'll play your voicemail on the air, and we'll respond and try and be as helpful to you as possible, and hopefully other people will find that helpful as well. 508-687-2589. 508-687-2589. Uh, as always, I'm at Jason Kander on Instagram and Twitter. Ravi is, I mean, it's lots of back in New York now content, and it's at Ravi M. Gupta on Twitter and Instagram. Plus, clearly soon you're going to get to see how things went at the wave pool. So, and our show is at Majority54 <laughs> on Twitter. Remember, we all have a platform. Make sure to use yours today. Majority 54 is a Wonder Media Network production. It's produced by Grace Lynch and Edie Allard. Theme music provided by Kemet Coleman. Special thanks to Diana Kander. Hi, listeners, it's Robbie with a question for you. What if instead of being on the brink of disaster, we're on the cusp of a better world? For that answer, I recommend listening to the What Could Go Right podcast. Each week, Progress Network founders Zachary Carabell and Executive Director Emma Varvalukas dive into the biggest news and most pressing topics of our time, from elections to climate change, and make the case for a brighter future with guests like Harvard professor Arthur C. Brooks and California State Senator Robert Hertzberg. Progress is on the way. Find out on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts.